Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Andrew. <laughs> uh, my name is Mitchell Slater. I am one of the, the pastors here at River Oaks. Um, so glad to be here with you this morning, whether you're here in person or with us over the live stream. I mean, it's a joy to get to worship uh, every Lord's Day with God's people, but it is a unique joy to get to worship on this Lord's Day, which just so happens to be Christmas. So for our passage this morning, like last night, we'll be in Titus chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Paul's letter to Titus in chapter 2. And last night at our Christmas Eve service, again, we looked at these, these exact same words, and we were seeing that even though this isn't one of the typical passages that we think of for Christmas, that this has a very special contribution to make for our understanding of the God-man, Christ Jesus. As we saw last night, this text shows us two great comings. That is the first arrival of Christ and his second, his, his first advent and his final Advent. We use the image, Keith referenced it earlier, of, of two great mountains of the first and second comings of Christ, and we live in the valley in between, the valley of the already and the not yet. So if you could put the slide up on the screen. Um, do you guys remember our Christmas proclamation from last night? Christ has come. Very good. And that's really the theme of what we're looking at this Christmas, that Christ has come and Christ will come again. Last night we focused on, on his first coming, looking at the appearing of grace. And this morning we'll still be looking at his first coming, but this time through the lens of his final coming, the appearing of his glory. So let's read our passage. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. These are the words of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. <clears throat> well, the, the Christmas season, it's a time of waiting. I mean, kids, I'm sure that you've been waiting for a long time to open up some presents today, right? <laughs> Adults too, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> But the anticipation, it can get so intense in the, in the days and the weeks leading up to, to this morning. Right? We wait for gifts. We wait for presents. We also wait in line at stores. We wait for packages to be delivered. We wait for our loved ones to arrive. Right? All December long, we're waiting for something. <clears throat> but there's a, a deeper sense of waiting that I want us to look at, that this season really invites us into. 
that up until yesterday, we were in the season of Advent, a time where we really get to put ourselves in the shoes of the Old Testament saints as they waited for the Messiah to come. We've seen, come thou long expected Jesus. So I want to do that now. I want to enter into that, that long wait of the people of God as they longed for Christ to arrive. It began all the way back in the garden. After Adam sinned, God immediately gave him a promise of grace. He would send the seed of the woman who would crush the seed of the serpent, who would deliver his people. So God's people believed the promise, and they waited. God promised Abraham that he would bless all the families of the earth through one of his descendants. So God's people believed the promise, and they waited. God promised Judah that the scepter would never depart from his family. So God's people believed the promise, and they waited. Israel suffered 400 years of Egyptian slavery. And God's people still believed the promise and they waited. God told King David that one of his heirs would rule on the throne forever. So God's people believed the promise and they waited. And even when they broke the covenant and were sent into exile, God promised that he would send the Messiah to come and deliver them. And God's people continued to believe the promise, and they continued to wait. We've already sung this morning that, that great song of waiting, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who waits in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. The story of the Old Testament is the story of God's people going through years and decades and centuries and millennia of waiting. And on that very first Christmas, their waiting was finally over. Every promise of God found their yes and amen in the womb of a virgin. The anticipation of Advent led to the celebration of Christmas. But that grand finale of their, their long wait, it might not have happened exactly as they expected it to. They were expecting an appearing of glory. But in Christ's first coming, they experienced the appearing of grace. The birth of the Messiah was an expression primarily of God's humility, not his glory. And this is the great mystery of Christmas. I love the way St. Augustine put it when he said, Maker of the Son, he is made under the Son. In the Father, he remains. From his mother, he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. But so that his greatness is not diminished by his smallness, nor his smallness overwhelmed by his greatness. 
The people were expecting greatness. They weren't expecting smallness. But this is the the mind-stretching super-reality of Christmas. That the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was born in a stable. Born into poverty. Born into insignificance. That the mighty God became lowly man. The infinite became finite. The creator assumed his creation. This glorious, majestic God humbled himself and emptied himself. He who gives life to all things had to rely on his mother for nourishment. The one who created the universe went through nine months of the developmental process in the womb. He who is all-powerful willingly became a weak, helpless infant. And this infant would grow up to be an itinerant Jewish preacher who didn't even have a place to lie his head. And ultimately, he would die an agonizing and humiliating death on a Roman cross. This isn't what they were expecting. But if the first coming of Christ was his humiliation, then the second coming of Christ will be his exaltation. Because Christ didn't stay dead. The story goes on. He rose from the grave and ascended into heaven where he presently rules and reigns over all things. And he has promised that one day he will return in majesty to finalize his kingdom and make all things new. And that will be what Paul says here, the appearing of his glory. So as we worship Jesus this Christmas, remember that though he was the Christ child, he is a child no longer. He was the infant in a manger in Bethlehem, but he isn't an infant now. As we sang earlier, once a babe in Bethlehem, now the Lord of history. So make no mistake, the manger is empty. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. But the throne is occupied. And the only item left on God's agenda is for Christ to return again in glory. All that's left is his final appearing. Look at verse 13 and how Paul describes this. He says, we're waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want us to just just focus in on that word, waiting. Waiting. Yes, God's people spent countless years waiting for the Messiah. And now that he's come, the waiting isn't over. We're still a people who wait Christ has promised to return and bring us to himself. So we believe the promise and we wait. Christ has promised to come again and make all things new. So we believe the promise and we wait. Christ has promised to raise us from the dead. So we believe the promise and we wait. 
He's promised to establish his kingdom on this earth. So we believe the promise and we wait. He has promised to bring in a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So we believe the promise and we wait. Christmas was just the beginning of the story. Christmas is a reminder that the story isn't over yet. That we're still a people walking through a long exile. That we are not yet in the promised land. We are a people of the waiting. But we don't really like waiting, do we? (laughs) Waiting can be frustrating. It can be annoying. It can be exhausting. What can encourage us as we wait for the coming of the Lord? Well, the encouragement is found just in Paul's beautiful phrase. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for our blessed hope. Our waiting isn't in vain. It isn't futile. We wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we don't just have a hope that, well, we hope that Christ will maybe, possibly, potentially come again. No, our hope is secure and certain and sure. Our hope will not put us to shame. As surely as Christ came the first time, he'll come a second time. God kept his promise at Christmas, and he'll keep his promise to us. And so if, if Christmas is a time that's hard for you, if there's a, a, a shadow of grief that's cast over all the celebrations for you, we're looking for the blessed hope. Christ has promised all of his people that there is a day coming when all will be healed. All will be restored. All will be redeemed. All will be made new. We are a people who wait because we're a people of the blessed hope. Now, my question for you this morning is, Do you have this hope? Notice Paul didn't say we're waiting for the blessed hope, but we're waiting for our blessed hope. In other words, this hope is personal. So is it yours? Is Christ your only hope? Are you among the faithful who are waiting for him, who love his appearing? If not this morning, you are invited into real, solid, lasting hope. Hope that won't disappoint you. So look to Christ alone as your only hope of being reconciled to God. He has come and he will come again and you can trust him. Come join us as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I love how Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 kind of captures the same idea we've been talking about. It says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So church, our waiting is an eager waiting. 
It's not like the torture of waiting at the DMV (laughs) or waiting for a root canal. Our waiting is like the, the joyful anticipation of a child eagerly waiting to open their Christmas presents. Right? For a child longing for Christmas, there's joy in the waiting, isn't there? The, having to wait actually increases the longing and sweetens the delight. And we are a people who wait, but our waiting is eager. It's joy-filled. It's celebratory because we have a blessed hope. So today, as you open gifts and eat good food and sing and laugh and celebrate, let these festivities be just a, just a foretaste, an appetizer of the great feast that's coming for the people of God in the kingdom of God. And for now, we wait. But what does that waiting actually look like? I mean, do we just sit around and do nothing as we wait? Is waiting just being lazy and inactive? Is it like a a spiritual car ride where we ask over and over again, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Not at all. Paul makes it clear our waiting is an active waiting, not a passive waiting. Look at verse 14. He shows us exactly how we wait. So again, he says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here it is. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. (laughs) That's what it looks like to wait. Again, We saw this last night, but when Art preached on this same passage a few months ago, he used the little phrase, "We we are pushed by grace. And pulled by glory. We're pushed by grace. We're pulled by glory. So in this in-between time where we find ourselves, where Christ has come, yet Christ will come again. In this time of waiting, we are being pulled along by his coming glory. That great hope that awaits us actually pulls us forward in our lives as Christians and in our lives together as a church. So how do we wait? We wait as a people purified by Christ, redeemed from lawlessness, zealous for good works. Which means we don't just throw our hands up in despair. We don't give up on this world. We don't lose hope and lose heart. We make good use of this season of waiting. We have been redeemed By the grace of Christ, he has given himself for us to redeem us. So now we get to become his redemptive agents in the world, waiting patiently and doing good. It's like in the parable of the talents. We don't wait by hiding our treasure in the ground. We wait by by going out and doing something with the treasure of the gospel. So as we patiently wait for the kingdom to come in its fullness, we work for that kingdom now. The kingdom came at Christmas. It came like a seed planted at the ground. And now that seed is slowly but surely growing into a great tree. I love how C.S. Lewis described this. He said, enemy-occupied territory 
That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I love that. Christmas was an invasion. The Son of God invaded this world disguised as an infant. And one day he will come again with the armies of heaven as the great conqueror in the fullness of his splendor and majesty and glory. And between these two great appearings, we are called into our Messiah's campaign of sabotage. This is what it means to be a people zealous for good works. So yes, we live in a world full of darkness. So as we wait, we seek to fill this dark world with the light of Christ. We live in a world full of pain. So as we wait, we seek to fill this this painful world with the healing of Christ. We live in a world full of grief. So as we wait, we seek to fill this grieving world with the comfort of Christ. We live in a world full of guilt. So as we wait, we seek to fill this guilty world with the mercy of Christ. We live and work and pray and laugh and feast and sing and build and fight and wait as if Christ is king right now because he is. So even as we pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We seek to live in such a way that can bring heaven to earth right now. Now, if you were here last night, you'll remember that we talked about uh, this word that Paul uses here in Titus for appearing. It's the Greek word epiphany. Everyone say epiphany. Epiphany. Well done. You're speaking excellent Greek. (laughs) Epiphany just means the shining of a light. And Christmas was the epiphany of grace. When Christ was born, the light began to shine in the darkness. And Christ's return will be the epiphany of glory when the light will come to its full noonday splendor. It's like Proverbs 4.18, which says, The path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And that's where we find ourselves as we wait. The darkness is slowly but surely fading. The light is slowly but surely growing. This Christmas invasion will be a success. So church, Christmas is a call to mission. As we wait for our blessed hope, go out with the light of Christ and sabotage the darkness. So let's close one more time with our Christmas proclamation. Christ has come. Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, which has appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus, bringing salvation to all people, bringing salvation to us. We thank you that we get the privilege of eagerly waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to wait as purified people, zealous for good works. Help us to celebrate the glorious reality that Christ has come and help us anticipate our blessed hope that Christ will come again. 
Lead us now into joy unspeakable and filled with glory as we worship the ruler of the nations, the savior of the world, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So we pray, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.